We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream this episode of Inside Golf Podcast Between is brought to you by com. This week for the website, I wrote about the Hero World Challenge. That's right. We do have golf back this week. Tiger Woods is in the field. I've heard of him. Will Zalatoris is making his return to golf as well. So if you are interested in betting or playing DFS for the Hero World Challenge, last competitive golf event of 2023, I broke down absolutely everything that you need to know about the golf course, um, what players it should favor, uh, some of the history that we've had at this track. Ernie Ailes is an architect. Some meat on that bone to discuss. So for all of my betting and DFS content, you can find me over at rickrungood.com every single week for the rest of the year, even on weeks where there's not a PGA Tour event. I'll be writing articles all through December. I'm working on a big Jordan Spieth piece right now, essentially breaking down his entire career trajectory. What went wrong? Will he ever be able to reach the heights that he did in 2015 to 2017 at his peak? It's a lot of meat on that bone, um, and I dive into all of that. So you can find that up later this week on the site, rickrengood.com. Coupon code Andy, uh, and we would love to have you as part of that community. For all of my football content, Ship It Nation is the place to go. My NFL picks this season, you know, I've been down from what I was the last two years, and we're still hovering right at 57%. Um, It has been a wild run in the NFL over the last three years. Uh, I've already fired on multiple bets this week. Uh, There's one bet that I placed where the line is on the move today. Um, A massive market overcorrection. And this happens every week. The way to beat NFL is knowing when to bet. Um, Perfect example of this is holding that Bills plus 3.5 ticket early in the week. That number opened at 3.5. It was... 3.5 on Sunday, Monday, and then as we got to Tuesday, it kind of got down to three and pretty much sat at three throughout the week. It's little edges like that, knowing when to bet, getting the best of the number, 
um, is how you win in the NFL. And Shipping Nation has given me this platform to post all of my bets when I make them. For you know, serious NFL bettors that are serious about following and making money on the NFL. Not to mention how much Tambo and Hoop and all the Ship It Nation members have been killing it on the DraftKings side of things as well. So shipitnation.com, promo code Andy to take an extra 10% off. Join in now. Like I said, a couple lines actually today that I would recommend moving on pretty quickly. All right, coming up on this podcast, it is time Year three of this. It's the third year we're doing this. One of my favorite episodes of the year. A two-parter. We're bringing on my good friend, Twitterless Steve, for an annual tradition. The 2024 Majors Preview Part 1. Steve and I will be breaking down absolutely everything that you need to know about Augusta National. Heard of that golf course before. The 2024 Masters, which I will be attending this year. Valhalla, got a lot of thoughts on that one. Uh, The host venue, of course, of the 2024 PGA Championship. So we're going to talk about the Masters and PGA Championship this week. Next week, we're going to do U.S. Open and Open Championship. We're going to talk about what players are best positioned to succeed on these golf courses. We're going to break down the futures market, talk about some bets that we would recommend placing now versus later, what direction lines might move, uh, and so much more. So without further ado, let's bring on Steve. All right. Twitterless Steve is here. Do you have any friends from the great state of Kentucky? I think maybe we're going to want to send them a care package before this podcast comes out. I'm sure Kentucky is wonderful. I've never been there before. It's nothing personal. I love horses. I don't drink bourbon anymore, but I did love a good bourbon back in the day. So I hope we don't alienate any of the wonderful people of Kentucky when we talk about Valhalla in this podcast. But just quick disclaimer off the top, I have a feeling based on our previous text conversations that we may. You know, I so I have been to the Kentucky Derby before. I have checked that off my box. Uh, this was, I think, shortly after I finished college there. So, uh, you know, we were in the infield. We didn't have you know, the seersucker suits or anything. We just rolled them kind of T-shirts and shorts and everything. And, you know, we we're just going to be that. And I remember we were playing flip cup in the uh, the parking lot and then uh, a golf cart full of uh probably members of Valhalla uh, now that I think about it rolled up and they challenged us to a game of flip cup and we were all excited and we dubbed it the 99% versus the 1% game of flip cup for all the marbles and uh they wiped the floor with us and laughed and rolled away and kicked us and us as they rolled away their golf carts so uh that was my experience at Kentucky Derby other other than just seeing a cloud of dust of the horses go by and losing so all my money you've got a bit of a score to settle potentially <laughs> <laughs> I might I might but uh you know look like it, it, you know I, I I appreciate the Kentucky culture I appreciate I, I love top chef Kentucky uh that was a good season uh and I appreciate well I don't know if I appreciate I admire Valhalla's uh, commitment to completely wiping off the face of the earth all the Norse myth, you know, mythology that it was named after, and shoving, basically creating a golf club that is just Kentucky all rolled into one and shoved right in your face. And uh, you know, I, they're they're very committed to the bit based on a lot of things they have uh, done uh, with new management. Speaking of bits, just wait till we get to. Uh... New new hold name versus old hold name, uh, a, a game that I'm really anticipating playing with you when we get to the Valhalla portion of this uh, of this podcast. 
We are, of course, talking about, we do this every year. This is the third annual year doing this, second year with Twitterless Steve. I did trademark this. There is not another podcast that goes in depth and breaks down the majors in December. This mm-hmm. is actually going to come out November 28th. I think this is a really good idea. And I, I'm. it's one of my favorite, favorite podcasts to do every single year. I think that this is a uh, obvious lull in the golf calendar slash schedule, although I'm sure we're both pretty excited to watch Tiger Woods back in action next week. And I think that a lot of, and we can, uh, discussing the futures market will be uh, a paramount point of this podcast, but I think people really like to get a head start, mainly because there are some opportunities in the futures market, right? Like there are already people that I've seen a ton of people holding like 28 to one Victor Hovland tickets. He's half that, right? So hopefully a lot of this discussion can be discussing some of the players that we think are going to fit this golf course. Because I think a lot of people look at the futures market and say, oh, this guy's a good fit here. This guy's a good fit there without actually doing any research on the actual course. So we're going to do that for you. We're going to break down in depth these golf courses talk about who we think is a good fit there and also probably maybe talk about some of the numbers that potentially could move based on their early season schedule and and we'll dive into all that Mm -hmm. yeah i remember our conversation last year uh obviously oak hill means a lot to me being uh in this town uh as well yep and and, adopted rochesterian (laughs) yes it's it's you and rory now you are adopted and 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 blocky by the way uh don't forget don't forget him but uh yes it it was good to have that conversation you know i I was a little because you know i i broke down the the new golf course there was a lot of changes to it i was i was kind of you know eagerly anticipating what you thought of it if we agreed and we did agree as far as it turned out you basically like yeah like this is a completely different test of what it was in 2013. And I was getting excited based on some of the early reviews and previews of Oak Hill. Everyone was just referring back to 2013. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like we're going to get all these underpriced guys. They're going to be going for the Tom Kims. And, you know, this is going to be awesome. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, with given your success, I think a lot of the word of mouth got out about the place. Uh, but I, I don't think with this preview, uh, I mean, we'll talk about Valhalla and, you know, we have the masters. We were uh, right yeah. on the money, by the way, Steve, sorry to interrupt, but we just yeah. had to play Cameron Davis and Kirk Kitayama. <laughs> and Sepp Straka too. He, right. he was top 10 as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think as far as a golf course breakdown, I think the, you know, the intrigue about how it's going to play, I think that's going to be more the next podcast, this one, when I was going through it, I mean, especially with Augusta national, we talked about it earlier and I asked you, did I miss anything uh, as far as any major changes? Cause there's been a lot the last couple of years. Doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of changes. And then we'll get to Valhalla. I, I just don't, I don't think there's a whole lot to it. And I think we'll, we'll talk about the exact reasons why uh, a little bit later on. Yeah, I guess we'll start with Augusta, which I would imagine is, the one out of the four that we spend the least amount of time of, we tend to still go pretty in depth. Um, it's always just fun to talk about where the market stands in December and where we may think it will go. So we're breaking this down. I should have said this at the top. This would be a two-parter. Today, we're going to talk exclusively about the Masters, Augusta National, and then Valhalla. And then next week, a week from today, it'll come out next Tuesday morning, will be Pinehurst, another golf course I've played, spent some time at, went to that 2014 Open, and Royal Troon, a golf course that 
I really know nothing about and I'm excited to dive into in the next week. But let's start with the Masters. Big picture, Steve. Is there, should we start with basically the changes? Um, you texted me about this earlier. Of course, we had John Rom win last year. He went at 12 under over Brooks Kepkin, Phil Mickelson uh, by four shots at eight under par. 12 under, 10 under, 10 under. Let's throw away the DJ year and 20 under. Tiger Woods, 13 under, 15 under, 9 under, 5 under, 18 under. Jordan Spieth went nuts that year, 8 under. So, you know, I think at the first year of the changes that they made to the 13th hole, mainly with the added tee box, it, it didn't really change much to the identity of the course. And I think we'll probably see a lot of the same this year as well. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so one of the things I wanted to look at was, you know, th- there was a lot of oxygen consumed about all the changes. You know, I mean, I would, two years ago, it was the complete transformation of hole number 11, uh, where they took out almost all the trees down the right side. They added, except for a couple lone singular trees on the right side, there, trying to, and they expanded the fairway, trying to kind of promote guys instead of just bailing out completely left you know, maybe try and get a little better angle towards the green going down the right side, but you run the risk of if the ball is kind of running uh, down there, you know, you're blocked up by a tree, you know, obviously with 13 pushing back the tee box and then 15, the same thing. I remember uh, I, I went to the 2021 or 2022 masters. And uh, after that, a lot of complaints about how it played. So yeah, I, I think what I wanted to kind of just like look at off the jump was just kind of, if there was any major impacts, like, or is it was it kind of just done, you know, these changes, didn't really do much to it. You know, hole number 11, no real change in the scoring average last two years. Uh, yeah. Scoring average last two years was 4.38. Uh, last two years, uh, in the five years before, that was 4.35. Birdie rates are still only 4.5% compared to 5.4%. And the bogey rates are about the same, about 34%. So that hole did not change. Despite the fact that it was a complete facelift, I noticed, I, I, and you went to the Masters last year, right? I did not. I'm going this year. By oh, the way, okay. I'm going this year. By the way, the course played a quarter of a stroke easier last year than it did in 2022, which yeah. a lot of that is mainly due to the conditions. I, I think 2022 was a little firmer and faster. Well, I, actually, it, it was cold. And, right. and I can attest to that because my dad and I left early on on Saturday. We were Okay, freezing. so you went to the 2022. You didn't go last year. No, I didn't. But I'm going I went this year. Okay. But I remember last year what happened was it was beautiful weather starting out last year. And then you had the giant windstorm that ended up knocking down that pine tree, uh, I think, <laughs> right. uh, by, six, by 16. So that stopped play. But what that ended up doing was it completely boned the guys who hadn't finished the round because they had to get out on Saturday morning. And it was freezing cold. It was raining. I think um, Brian Harmon hit driver three wood into 18 that day. And, uh, you know, we saw a guy like Sung JM. He plummeted down the leaderboard because he had like seven holes to go. JT missed the cut because of that. Uh, and then the rest of the weekend was just cold and windy. So it was really kind of a tale of two tournaments in 2022 though. It was pretty cold and windy throughout. And yeah, like the last couple of years with the scoring averages, you know, or the wing scores like 12 under 10 under, it's been a lot of weather related issues. Uh, I know 2021 was pretty firm. Uh, that played pretty tough at least first couple of days. 2022 was just really cold. The ball was just dead. Uh, and 2023 it was really cold for the weekend. So with all this lengthening, it's happened with this golf course. Like, I mean, it's really only kind of reinforced. I mean, obviously you talk about, you know, you got to have really good long iron play. It's just really reinforced that like the, uh, the, the splits in the proximity buckets is so skewed towards 150 and over now. Like, I think there's only three shots 
on the entire golf course, you're hitting under 150 yards into a green. 75% of approach shots come from above 150 yards. I wrote that down because I thought it was so meaningful. I mean, yep. you have 33.2 above 200 yards. Yep. Six out of 18. Um, yeah, it, and then eight, 19 from 175 to 221 from 150 to 175. Tour averages on those are like 20, 18, 22. Yep. So you're basically getting 75% of approach shots coming from 150 yards over compared to a tour average of probably like 68, 60%. 50, yeah, yeah, 58, 59%. So there's like mm-hmm. a 17% increase when you get to Augusta for a long iron play. That's may not sound like much. That's probably the widest on tour, I'd imagine, up there. So it's wild. That's a wild amount of long iron shots. Yep. And it, I, I remember I, I think Patrick Hanley went on the No Langa podcast and he was talking about, you know, I mean, like, you know, the concept about angles at the Augusta National, especially off the tee, putting putting yourself on the correct side of the fairway. And because you're so far back now and because you're hitting into greens at such long distances, it really doesn't matter all that much. It really has kind of turned into just a contest of who can hit it the farthest. And we've seen it the last couple of years Just really good drivers have just come up the leaderboard because, you know, weather conditions, it's been a little softer too. So, you know, I, I, a lot of this, this tournament always comes down to how the weather is going to be, where the wind's coming from, how firm the turf is, you know, but it just the last few masters and based on some of the changes they've been doing, it's really, I know they've been trying to adapt to the modern game of golf, but it's just been, it doesn't skewing more towards the longer straighter hitters just even more than it really has like before. I would say the only counterpoint to that is, and I thought about this when I wrote about Colin Morikawa for the website earlier this month or, or last month, I wrote about this in October, but driving accuracy here is 75%, which is mm-hmm. 17% higher than tour average. It, it is incredibly easy to hit the fairway here. So for example, in my Augusta model every year, I don't weigh driving accuracy or even stroke scanned off the tee at all. I just weigh pure distance. But I think the roadmap at Augusta is either you're super long, like a Rom, Sheffer, or Rory, and an elite long iron player. Or I actually think Augusta is like a sneaky, incredible fit for Morikawa, and it's that's proven to be the the case. He's he's been excellent here the last couple of years, continuing to improve his baseline. I think he's like fifth and tenth the last two years because Morikawa. This is a bit in the weeds, but what are we here for, Steve? Morikawa is like the best player in the world if you can ensure that he's hitting an iron shot from short grass. Like mm. the delta between more co- something about his swing, it's it's really interesting. He has like a really flat swing plane, so I don't really know if that affects how easy it is for him to strike balls out of the rough versus the fairway. But Morikawa is the best player in the world from 150 yards plus if you can ensure that he's hitting from the fairway. So that ventured me to say, okay, you know, the roadmap here is. Either, like I said, you want to bomb the ball off the tee and be a great long iron player. But if you want to get super in the weeds and take it a step further, go on data golf and find out the guys that are amazing hitting iron shots from the fairway. Cause you get to play from the fairway at Augusta. Um, there's, I mean, 
it's not, it ranks outside the top 15 in missed fairway penalty, rough penalty, non-rough penalty, fraction of miss. I mean, you could go around Augusta and, and basically hit all 18 fairways pretty seamlessly. If, if you have your driver somewhat unlock. Hmm. No, I, I, I agree with that. I guess. Yeah. Like Morikawa is a unicorn mm-hmm. when it comes to that. There's obviously exceptions like, yes, like, you know, as long as if Morikawa is hitting from the short grass, you know, he's as lethal as a long iron as anybody. Just, you know, I mean, like if you just look at just overall the giant, you know, landscape of golf, you know, the best players in the world just tend to be the best drivers, the best long iron players. And that just mm-hmm. kind of those just kind of fit. And like, I mean, if, if you just look like down the odds board, there's just a clear delineation between like, you know, like, you know, your Tom Hoagies, your Horschels, your Paris English, like they're never gonna be ever really towards the top of the leaderboard because they just don't have the skill sets. I think for for like an Augusta National, whereas like you know, it's always going to be your Cantleys and Hovlands and McElroys and Bronze. So like, like that, like Cam Smith, Jordan Spieth. Like, how do they find so much success at Augusta? Because I think if you're talking about secondary skill sets, I think if you're asking me to rank, let's see if my top four is different than your top four. I'm going to give you my top four most important things at Augusta National, and you tell me if you think we're aligned. If I have this in the right order. Number one, I'm going to say long iron play. Number mm-hmm. two, I'm going to say pure power off the tee. Number three, I'm going to say short game expertise, particularly chipping off of tight lies and short game creativity. And number four, I'm going to say lag putting. And I think you have somebody like Cameron Smith that may not be great at one and two, although the fact that the fairways are so wide almost masks one of his deficiencies, but you can still get around Augusta. If you're a lead at three and four, your pathway is just a little bit harder, right? It's just the Cameron Smith, Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth method. Um, yeah. Which I think is a harder roadmap than a Rom Scheffler Rory method, but it, that roadmap still exists. Yeah. I, I, I think they need the right weather conditions too. And, and maybe my, my opinions have been clouded by the last couple of years because like the weather really just has like kind of pre- preferred the type of player I've been kind of talking about. But I, I think with your rating right there, I think the long iron play, obviously I think, you know, number one there, mm-hmm. I think with power and short game, I mean, because, but, and um, interchangeable, right? Like you, I would say it's interchangeable yeah. and, and going to Augusta national, like, because look, like, you know, you always hear the adage short game matters in Augusta National, but, you know, look at any predictive skill set chart. Look at any way, all the ways like guys separate themselves in the Like short game just in general is not a great roadmap to success pretty much anywhere on the PG Tour as far as like really separating yourself at the Libra. Like, you know, it just is hard to right. do that. But the like, guy who but, wins the Masters hits the most greens. <laughs> yes. But at Augusta National, just walking around the golf course, looking at the green complex, look at the areas around it. Like it's very difficult shots you have to do but it's not impossible just that there's a real fine line a real razor's edge between a really good chip or you know scramble off the green or good bunker shot and a really poor one and it's the guys who are really elite in those categories or just have a ton of experience at Augusta national that just do it a lot better and you can separate the wheat from the chaff at that point so like the short game is something i've definitely grown to appreciate more just being on the golf course as far as, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm probably not going to pick anybody to win 
like unless they have like a good short game. Like just thinking about like you know the recent winners, you know Rom Scheffler, uh, Hideki was a good scrambler, Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth, those type of guys. You know all of them really good around the green, and you know and then they have all the other skill sets too. The only caveat to my list too, because this isn't technically a skill, but you could almost make a case that in terms of most important predictors of success at Augusta, it's right up there with long arm play, potentially higher. The predictive nature of course history at Augusta is off the charts. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's double the second highest correlated course, which is why lie. So it's really hard to emphasize enough just how strong of a correlation there is here, right? And that's why Phil Mickelson is able to finish second last year without being able to crack the top 20 of a live leaderboard, right? That's why Tiger's able to win the Masters with a diminished skill set. That's why you've seen in the past guys like Freddie Couples continue to make the cut here well past his prime when he couldn't make a cut regularly on the PGA Tour. Uh, there is a know-how and knowledge to this golf course um, that is you know, kind of unquantifiable, honestly. I think that usually it's around, we see a spike in performance. I wrote this down because I think it was really interesting. It's usually after like your fifth appearance, I think. Mm-hmm. Like there's a noticeable spike in strokes gain performance. There's a peak window between, I believe it's in your fifth, between your fifth and your 11th start or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. I, I just, I can't understate the importance of experience at this golf course, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more when we, when we get to some of the players. Yeah. Boston Capper and I, we actually play that game. Uh, he loves that game. It's, we call them the level jumpers and we take basically, this is the, I think after your, your third appearance, there's a slight level jump around like your sixth or seventh. There's another level jump around like 11. That's like your peak prime. And I always like going with him and telling him who those guys are. And last year, I think Rom was, I think one of the level jumps is I think after your sixth or seventh, or it's, if it's your seventh masters, that's the big, that's like the big level jump. And it was Rom's seventh masters last year. So, uh, you know, if it, it fits right there, like, you know, the more times you play it, you kind of know how to get around the place. And, you know, you brought up Phil Mickelson as well. Uh, I think I remember him saying last year that, you know, as people are saying like, Hey, you've just been complete dog shit for all year. Like how, what, how can you explain just turn around? And he, and he said, he goes to Augusta national, just knowing that, you know, if he hits a bad shot, he says, okay, like it's, it, I'm fine over there. I missed over there. It's okay. I can recover. And like, there's that mindset that kind of frees him up uh, to know that like, you know, I, I don't have to be perfect at this place. Uh, I can still get around. I can still recover. Uh, unlike some other places where if Phil just kind of blasted all over the map, you know, he just is completely out of it. Yeah. It's, it's a chestnut checkers course, right? It's the kind of course that you feel like you get to know a little bit better each time you play it. Uh, and you learn something new each time you play it. And I think guys that have been doing this for 10, 15 years, Tiger, Phil, they just, it's almost the antithesis. This is the one week where the ignorance is blessed. Patrick Harrington quote maybe works in reverse somehow. Like there's so many times where you watch somebody like Victor Hovland play golf versus somebody like Rory play golf. And it's like, there's no scar tissue with Victor Hovland. Like he's never, he's never had these crushing defeats 
And I, I think about it myself too. I think this is applicable for, for all players that play golf. I played fearless golf when I was like a junior golfer. I didn't mm-hmm. have the experiences of three putting from eight feet in a tournament to lose. I didn't have the experiences of like shooting an embarrassing score in a high school match and boofing one off the tee in front of people, right? You build up mm-hmm. that scar tissue and it it hardens you a little bit, right? And that's why you worry if a guy like Rory is ever going to be able to win the Masters. But with the Masters, it's it's kind of like a guy like Phil, for example, he just knows what to do when he gets here the week before, right? And I think for a lot of the newcomers, why you haven't seen a debutant win here since 1983 and Fuzzy Zeller, it's a good trivia. Would you have got that if I post that as a trivia? Last debutant to win Fuzzy Zeller, 1983. You know, I, I my brain is kind of mush with you know little kids now, so <laughs> the the recall is not there. But buried in the recesses of my consciousness, <laughs> that little factoid actually is there. But if you ask me just point blank, I probably would be like, uh, I don't know, I don't right. know. <laughs> the, well, the larger point being is, I'm just trying to give an explanation of why we see that jump in the fifth year mm-hmm. trying to explain that so people understand why that actually is i think that when you get to augusta for the first time and players have talked about this on interviews I, i'm not breaking any news here but you're so engrossed by the sheer volume and wondery of the place and and magic and aura of it that you just should I play like three holes on Thursday? Like, or, or should I get here like a month before? Should I get here a week before? How, like, how should I spend my time practicing? Like, who should I play my practice rounds with? Should I play nine holes? Right. And I think there's something to be sick because it's a different week in terms of you've been there before. I haven't been there before. I'm going there for the first time. But in terms of the media attention, uh, in terms of the tournament prep, it's a completely singular experience. And I think that there's something to be said. Players talk about this all the time where they just, they once you figure out your routine at Augusta and you figure out the prep, something that Rory's played here, what, 15 times? And I still don't think he has this down. Um, but I think there's something to be said for that as well. No, I mean, you hit the nail on the head too. I mean, like, I mean, you'll see it this year. The the area around Augusta National is essentially just a bunch of strip malls and outback steakhouses and waffle houses. But then you go through the pearly gates and it, it's Disney World. It is pristine. It's clean. You know, it, it's all world facilities. All the staff is just there to make sure you're just there to have a good time. And it, it really does feel like, you know, again, just ripping on Valhalla. It is Valhalla there. But... Yeah, you know, it's it, it it is golf paradise at Augusta National, and it, it it can definitely be overwhelming if you're a new player. Even like just the practice facilities, like just like the grand scale of it, and you know, I mean, it, it's it definitely can be something that if you let the you know all that get to you, yeah, you might come out of the gates you know pretty poorly. So, but yeah, between that, between just knowing all the little nuances about how the greens are, where to hit it. How to get like, you know, like, you know, the exact amount of spin you need coming to a green, you know, you pick up these little tricks over time and then eventually it culminates to, you know, a victory. I actually think I'm more excited to go. I believe I'm going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I didn't want to go Sunday and I'll defend that decision. Mm -hmm. I've already got some flack from some friends. Like what if Rory wins and you're not there and you had the opportunity to be there? 
but I you, you can't have phones out there. It's so difficult to follow the action. There's nothing like watching Master Sunday on TV and being able to understand the dynamics of the course. And, oh, this guy's on 13. He's got some birdie holes coming up. And I, I feel like it'd be really hard to get a read of what's going on on the golf course in a flurry of action on Sunday. So I wanted to go to one of the practice rounds and I'm almost more excited to go on Wednesday than I am on Thursday or Friday to check <clears> out, <throat> to check out what the property is like on the day before. So I think I'm going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the way to do it. We went, we yeah. don't Friday, Saturday, uh, but I, I agreed with you that uh, we got the red eye out of, or uh, yeah, we got the red eye out of Atlanta uh, and I was home Right around the time that Scheffler and uh, Cam Smith teed up. But I mean, you really are just isolated out there. You don't really know what's going on except for just little roars around the golf course. Right. And then you got to guess what that is. You're waiting on the guy with the, uh, the little uh, flip cards on the scoreboard. And they only update about every 15, 20 minutes. There's a main leaderboard right by the entrance. And that's where all the degenerate gamblers congregate. <laughs> because they're asking about, you know, hey, can you update Louis Uswees and score? Do you know what he does? What did Jason Day do? And actually, I asked the guy, I'm like, do you have Day over Louis? He's like, yeah, I do. I'm sweating that right now. It's, ag- it's aggravating. But you're right. No phones. Uh, you really just are dependent on guys with little, you know, like post-it notes, just updating the scores on the little radio every then. That's the only way to, you know, know what's going on. And other than that, though. You know, my dad and I parked behind 18th uh, Green on Saturday for a little bit to see guys come up there. And we knew kind of where the leaders were, but we didn't know. We heard a roar and we were like, all right, we're kind of all guessing what that could be, what that could mean. And, you know, and there's, like, I guess, a little bit of suspense and charm to that, not knowing what it is. And then just finding out the big reveal when they finally change it. But yeah, I mean, like for guys like you and I who want to constantly know what's happening with a golf tournament, who's leading, who hits a certain shot. Like it definitely can be, it, it can be uh, a uh, trial and patience. Let's put it that way. Digging into the odds board here, Steve. <laughs> I don't think these odds are great, but I still think you can make the case that there's some opportunity. John Rahm's plus 850, Rory McIlroy 9 to 1, Scotty Scheffler plus 950, Victor Hovland is down to 15 to 1, Brooks is 17, Jordan Spieth is 20. I mean, I I don't think that there's no way that Rory, Rahm, and Scheffler all go off under 10 to 1. I'll just say that right now. One of those guys is going to slip back. And especially uh, like, I don't think Jordan Spieth's going to be 20 to one. I think that some of these guys in the low twenties, one of this Cameron Smith, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Markawa, Ludwig, Xander, all those guys are below 30. It's not going to look like that. I can tell you that. So we can talk about some of the opportunity, but what kind of stands out to you at the top of the odds board right now? I mean, I agree with you. Like, at this point, like why why would a book hang like an unnecessarily high number on like Cantley or Spieth? Like guys would just say, like, oh well, Spieth is always good to the Masters, always 35. I'm just gonna bet him. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, just looking at this, like it I like and, and you've talked about it too, where the last couple of masters it's felt like just the guy playing the best all year. You know, just ended up winning. So, oh, that wasn't really a surprise. So I, I guess the exercise is trying to think about the schedule and like who could be that guy. 
I mean, can Hovland carry the momentum going in from last year to this year, win a couple times, and you know, he's ended up being a guy. Is Scotty gonna fix his putter? You know, is Ludwig just really is the next big thing and is there gonna be the debut winner? You know, is he gonna end up rising up the leaderboard, but or the odds board? But yeah, I mean, like at this point of the at point, you know, sitting here in November, I mean, why should I really lock up my money on anybody that are 10 to one or, you know, Cam Smith, not knowing what that's really going to look like with the live schedule and what he's going to look at 22 to one or Patrick Cantlay, who continually lets us down over and over. And I, you know, I don't know if he can actually put of Augusta national. That's been his big bugaboo, despite the fact he's a great bank brass putter. You know, I have no idea what Ludwig is really going to do once you get him out of field. That's not, you know, with Russell Henley and Brian Harmon and all those guys. So yeah, I mean, it's, I don't, I think the the game is more like of these guys, these elite guys, like who's going to be like the, the star that would be that fit the mold of, you know, Oh, it makes sense. He's the best player. He ended up winning the masters, but yeah, from an odds perspective, I'm not really rushing to lock my money in anybody. The only argument, is there any bet that you could argue to make now? Because I would say the only bet that I could really argue making now would be Zalatoris 45 to 1. If you think that Zalatoris is going to return as Zalatoris, he will not go off at 45 to 1 at the Masters. Yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to pull that trigger personally, but I think that's the only. Actually, I'll say there's two guys. I think that there's a case to be made that JT could go off way lower than 32 to one. If you believe in the JT Renaissance, which I do. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I love JT at this golf course and I I have pretty high expectations for JT this year. So I think Zalatoris and JT, JT at 32 and Zalatoris at 44. Those would be the only guys that I would really argue. There's a pathway for them to get much lower. Yeah. So I, there's a couple of guys I have starred here just based on how they've been playing the last couple months that, or just their pedigree, you could see them having a really nice spring and rise of the leaderboard. You know, Zalatoris is one of them. There's a great unknown. What's going to happen with that, you know, after the back surgery? You know, is he going to be the same ball striker than what he used to be? He's got a couple months in order to kind of, you know, work out the course rust. And if he can, I mean, he's one of the, he's a great fit for this place. But yeah, like, if you want to, I think you just need to be prepared to accept that, at 45 to one, you're not actually getting Will Zalatoris. You know, maybe you're going to get a couple, you know, just see him kind of struggle out the game like he did last year. So there's that. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you, JT. I would like to see him drift a little further than yeah. 32, but I, I'm with you. I've been seeing what he's been doing this fall. I mean, I didn't love the Ryder Cup uh, no. experience for him. No. But the one thing with JT, so he he finished, I think, top five at the Ned Bank. He finished top 10 at Fortnite. It's been a lot with around the green and putting. The iron play still has not come back off the tee. He still is kind of a mess. So I, I don't know if I want to basically back JT, who's been basically getting around a golf course like Denny McCarthy lately. So. But I can see it though. That's a premium player with a good track record at Augusta National, a lot of experience there. You know, I, I think like hitting that seventh or eighth appearance, I would imagine. He's probably right in that sweet spot of still in his prime with enough experience. Yeah, I, I think with JT, I think 
you want him to come in like Hideki did a couple of years ago, like, you know, yeah. proven guy, great ball striker, not kind of a little bit under the radar, but you see some things there, like the ball striking kind of starts coming around. Like maybe he's not winning, but like, he just kind of like, just like, you know, hanging around a little bit. I think that's, I think what you're thinking about with JT there. I think Max Homa might end up really rising up the leaderboard mm-hmm. based on just some of the tournaments that are going to be in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I, I've just been very impressed with his play this fall. Uh, I mean, he was one of the lone bright spots for the Ryder Cup team. Uh, off the tee, he's just been really improved in that category. You know, around the green, has been pretty decent too. Has not had a good Augusta National exper- uh, experience so far, but I've just been very impressed with his play last couple of months. He finally got kind of had some major success at last year's Open. You know, yeah. got a top 10 there. So it seems like maybe the confidence is building with him. And then you got a, you know, a bunch of golf courses that will be very good fits for him early in the year. Like, you know, maybe he picks up another win at the Genesis. Maybe he picks up a win at Torrey again, like where at that point, I mean, he's such a popular player. He would definitely, I think really rise at the, the odds board there. So, and he's hanging around 41 to one right now, that could be a guy. He knows this is the next bell for him to answer, right? Yes. He's checked off. He's checked off win the big elevated event Ryder cup success. This is the next question that he needs to answer in his career trajectory. Yeah. And like, I mean, he had a lot of, he was a very popular bet last year, the masters too. And he fell flat on his face again. And the U S open. And he he was open too. But you know, I mean, maybe he just needed to kind of just check off the box of like, all right, I was relevant in a major. Maybe I didn't, wasn't really in contention to win, but I was up there. You know, I could, I put together three or four solid good rounds in a row. Now I need to translate to Augusta National where he does have, you know, all the tools needed really do it. And listen, I bring up this point all the time. He's the exact same age as when Phil Mickelson won his first major. He's the Mm -hmm. exact same age as when Dustin Johnson won his first major, right? So Mm -hmm. this idea that guys can't peak from 32 to 36 and it now it all needs to be, you know, 22 to 26 bit of a fallacy if we look at golf history so we got to go on the record one pick one long shot i hit this last year by the way you uh, did i did hit is that last year yeah. is that why you invited me back because of your good luck charm well the other three majors <laughs> didn't go so well uh, none of them were like bad picks i was pretty i was really close on a lot of them to be honest with you uh it was <laughs> It was Fleetwood at the Open, Xander mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open, Rory at Oak Hill, and Rom at Augusta. I think every single one of those guys finished top seven, and every single one contended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we could we can litigate Rory's contention. He was relevant in that tournament, though. Mm-hmm. He's part of the story. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. So you're I'm pretty good at these December picks. You are. Why don't you lead it off then? Who's uh, who's your pick then? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a little factoid that I thought was interesting. So winning the Masters in back-to-back years is is incredibly rare. In fact, we often see uh, defending champions really struggle uh, after winning. So this has only happened three times. The only reason why I have all these notes is because I wrote an article about this for, for Rick Rungood last month. Jack Nicklaus, 1995-96. Nick Faldo, 1989-1990. Can you... Name the third one, the only other guy besides Jack and Faldo to go back to back. I cannot actually. He's in the field this week at the Hero. 
It feels like, is it Tiger? 2001, 2002. Tiger. Okay. There you go. Now, on the contrary, I was really surprised to find out how common it was for a Masters Championship to win. And I think this plays back into the experience thing that we were talking about earlier. It's really common for a Masters Champion to either win or have a tremendous amount of success two years after his victory. So, Horton Smith, 1934-1936 Masters Champion. Ben Hogan did it in 1951 and 1953. Sam Snead did it again in 1952 and 1954. Arnold Palmer did it in 1958 and 1960. And then he did it in 1962 and 1964 and 1966. So Palmer won four green jackets during an eight-year period between 1958 and 1966, but never on back-to-back occasions. He won every other year for eight years. Jack Nicholas snuck in there on odd years and won 1963 and 1965. Seve came incredibly close. He won his second Masters three years after his first, as did Tom Watson, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods on countless occasions. Phil then did it again in 2004 and 2006. And then Bubba Watson did it too in 2012 and 2014. I think you see where I'm going with this. Nine separate occasions, a player who has won the Masters has also won it two years later. And it's kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's like the antithesis of the Rory McIlroy predicting. It's like this reverse scar tissue theory, I suppose. Like close calls make it harder, but a single cross of the finish line really alleviates the pressure. So if you win the Masters, right, you usually struggle to defend it. But there's this incredibly weird, strong trend and track record of guys who win the Masters struggling the following year and then either winning the next year or being really dominant at the Masters in their next five years. Um, so I think Scotty Scheffler is, is <laughs> where I want to go, right? But... I had a uh, Scheffler penciled in at the Masters and Rory penciled in at Valhalla. And then when I did my Valhalla research, I got really caught up on this Jack Nicholas fade thing. Uh, so I have a different pick for Valhalla, and I don't think Rory's going to win at Pinehurst. So my head is Scheffler because I'm really proud of that research that I just did. And I mm-hmm. think I think <laughs> I think if you're unbiased, you should bet Scheffler. Uh, but I'm going to the Masters and Rory's going to fucking win because I don't get nice things, Steve. I, I'm i a Knicks fan. I'm a New York Giants fan. We can't even fucking tank right. We got Tommy Mozzarella screwing us out of a quarterback for the next decade, right? Mm-hmm. I've wanted one thing in my sports adult life, and that's Rory McIlroy to win a major. St. Andrews, it it ripped the heart from my body. Los Angeles Country Club, that wedge on 13, mm-hmm. a moment I'll never forget. Probably one of the most crushing sports moments of my adult life. Mm-hmm. I've never been to the Masters before. Me and my dad have been talking about doing this for decades, genuinely, since I was five years old. It's the number one thing in our bucket list. You know, It's hard to go to the Masters. Things happen. You get older. My dad's getting older now. We were supposed to go last year. He got COVID. I'm going to the Masters for the first time this year, me and my father. Mm-hmm. And I think Rory McIlroy is going to win. Oh my God. I, I could see the tears in your eyes right now. <laughs> it's great. It's like, it's like Blocky getting choked up after seeing the video of his son, you know, the bar there. 
Listen, I mean, so the case for Rory, I mean, look, like you have stated. We're we're okay. As a, as a massive nerd like myself, are you impressed by that little, uh, two years after tidbit I just pulled out of my ass? That, that, that is the work of an absolute grinder and somebody without kids. (laughs) That was not, (laughs) that was not kind of scrambling to find time between naps and his day job to like really come together for this pop. But that, that was really good. That that little tidbit there, and that's a that's a great find. No, so so Rory, you you mentioned something earlier with him, and I think he was my pick last year, and they just it did not go mm-hmm. great. What's the one variable we've kind of taken away though from him this year? Is he's no longer the pack, the players um, board. It's a good point. No longer dealing with that bullshit anymore. He has left at the feet of Jordan Spieth and said, "Why don't you go deal with these suits?" And these crybabies who want their money when no one is watching the sport at all right now. Right. And maybe I'm just going to go refocus and stay out of the limelight. And I, that's one of the reasons why I actually liked Rory at LECC last year, because he was under the radar all week. And I'm like, there is a different vibe to him right now. It is all business. And maybe it's going to be all business this year. So I, I appreciate where your heart is on this pick. I think I'll end up going with Scotty though, but okay. I, but I, my heart. So Scotty is being represented on the podcast. That makes me feel better. But my heart, I mean, <laughs> my 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 pick will be Scotty because okay. of all the reasons you said. Because I mean, like, like, am I buying at the peak? I think of his T to green prowess and ball striking prowess. Do so I think he can absolutely replicate that again? I don't think so. But he can't get any worse with a putter at this point. Like, like something has to give with that. And if we just get, like, I know we keep saying it with Scotty over and over and over, like, just give me just a little gain, a little gain for the tournament and you're going to win. But I mean, like, he just, you know, he fits everything you're looking for for Augusta Nash between the power, the long iron play around the green. And, you know, I mean, if he can, you know, I mean, you've seen guys like how Morikawa really just struggle in general with the putter, but they putt pretty well at Augusta National just because. They just, for whatever reasons, it's they're good on these greens. They're good with that. But what I wanted to actually go with here, and I'm not going to, my heart wants, and I I'm, I, I continually lose money on this guy. And I, I know he's somewhere in your heart, too. Is, Z- is, Z- is the window on Xander just closed at this point? Did you listen to the uh, over-unders that I did earlier this month with, with Porter? I did not. I missed that. He makes it really hard to root for him these days. I got to say. He does. I'm pretty low on him, Steve, to be honest with you. I still know some people in that camp. I I think he is an unbelievable caddy. But I would say that this is probably the the lowest I've been on Xander in quite some time. I I would agree. He has definitely come off as... And I'm not even I I and not being on Twitter or X, whatever they call it now, like I I'm usually just isolated from a lot of that noise. And well, I'm really just, just looking kind of just gutless on the golf course, Steve, too. But that's the thing. It's like, a lot like of just watching him watching him on Saturday at LACC, you look like he got body switched with somebody. Mm-hmm. Or how about Sunday at Quail Hollow with Wyndham Clark? Oh. I mean, I know Wyndham Clark would go on to win the U.S. Open and rip my heart out again, but like that was right there for Xander, and that back nine, he just was absolutely spineless at that point. And but I mean, like I, I just 
and I need I need to start thinking more in context of where these numbers are coming from. Like obviously my stat sheet right now, I am seeing one of the best long iron players in the field. I can explain away the struggles off the teams. He had a little bit of a neck injury earlier last year, a little bit of a power sap. Maybe that gets a little back this year. You know, obviously puts really well to Augusta National. He's come close so many times, a lot of experience there. You know, I mean, yeah, I, of course history. I'll say this, just mm-hmm. give us a 40 for once, right? Yeah. Like I, 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 yeah. he hasn't, he hasn't won in 16 months, right? Travelers. Mm-hmm. In 2022, Scottish Open, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that back to back, which which, which that that, that win that win fooled me so much because it was windy, it was firm, it was just like the antithesis kind of like where I would think Sander would like win at because you're right, like he has some soft tendencies on the golf course to will and like like that was just really difficult, firm winning condition. I'm like I don't, I wouldn't expect Xander to win that type of tournament, and that I, that I think that changed my perspective a little bit on him. So like, okay, maybe he does have this toughness to like finally win like one of these things, and yeah, I, I got let down so much. But you're right though, like like when I saw 28, I'm like, you know, for an opening number for Xander, that's not bad. Usually that's where he kind of settles at mm-hmm. at the majors, you know, like 30, yeah. 28, but. I, I, I think you're right. The problem is we might not get that opportunity because obviously there's some really favorable golf courses for him in the early slate where if, if he ends up winning a Tory, if he ends up winning Riv or something. Phoenix. Yeah. Or even like uh, Memorial Park now. I mean, he probably is not going to play the Houston Open, but if he did, Capilola, I mean, that would be yeah, a lot of Capilola, golf courses. A lot of golf over, even like PGA West, if MX gets those sure. guys over there. Yeah. So that could be, we might be seeing the ceiling because as soon as he wins, he's just a popular player to play uh, on the odds board. But uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll stay away from that. I'll go with Scotty as my official pick. Okay. Real quick. One long shot. It's down to two. I like these two numbers. Okay. So there's problems with Sahit Tagala's resume right now. I, I like will, that. That's a good pick. I was thinking I will about first, that. Yeah, so he's 90 to 1. Finally got a win. The, there mm-hmm. are problems. Though. The iron play leaves a little bit left to desire, you know, but he's got, you know, good finishes at Torrey Pines, at Riviera. He's got a top 10 last year. And what he does around the green and with the putter, like, it, it's been really, really good. So I still believe in the guy's talents. And if he if we just see a little bit of an elevation with his ball striking up at 90 to 1, yeah, you know, I, I think that could be another guy who ends up rising up the odds board with maybe a win early this year. Maybe he sells at like 50, 45 to one or so. And considering the fact he's so good around the green, at least on paper, and he's proven it, you know, go to Augusta National and have a good finish already. Yeah, you know, I, I like that. And and the other guy, I don't know if it's uh it's Adam Scott 130 to one. You know, he's start, starting to come back a little more. The iron play is starting to get a little better. He's been playing a little better overseas last couple of tournaments, too. Obviously, the Augusta National experience is still really good around the green. Top 10 at the Butterfield Bermuda, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it was because I was up late and I feeding the baby and I saw him at the Australian Open. Uh, or it's, uh, the Australian PGA News kind of well, in the mix. That was my guy. I'm going Min Woo. I think Min Woo's going to dine out at Augusta for years to come. That is a perfect golf course for Min Woo. So like I I I had been highlight too, but like I mean the iron play just 
at least with the numbers, it's not, not where it great. needs to be. Not yeah, but like, but obviously though, he has the distance and is great around the green. That is a recipe for like top twenties over and over. So like, if he's buried down the odds board, and I get top twenties at like you know over three to one, four to one on him. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely a guy. I mean, why do you think Cam Champ still does pretty well there? You know, he's just you know hits it a mile, and maybe we can do the same thing. He obviously had you know a really good. What was it? It was it was year two years ago, a year or last year that he had. He did really well there, but two yeah, years, like two years ago, he shot like 29 on the back nine or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I Minwoo is a perfectly fine pick. I support that. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then talk about Valhalla. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we are back. PGA Championship at Valhalla. We're in Louisville, Kentucky. It's going to host its fourth PGA Championship. This is it's a Jack Nicholas golf course. The last time we saw it was 2014 when Rory McIlroy defeated Phil Mickelson on a pretty wet golf course at 16 under par. 2000, Tiger Woods defeated Bob May in a playoff. That was actually a great PGA Championship at 18 under. 1996, Mark Brooks over Kenny Perry in a one-hole playoff at 11 under. It also hosted the 2008 Ryder Cup, which the U.S. won 16.5 to 11.5. Here's what stood out to me right off the bat, Steve. In its three editions of hosting a PGA Championship, and I think this is total nightmare fuel for the LACC haters, we've seen winners of 18 under, 16 under, and 11 under par, which would make this historically over the last two or three decades one of the easiest major venues that we have seen in recent memory. The last two times that we've been here, winning scores of 18 under and 16 under. Now, the scorecard for this hasn't come out yet. I imagine that they've beefed up some of these holes. I know there's at least a new tee on 18. Um, I imagine they've made a concerted effort to make this golf course more difficult. But I don't see it. I mean... This to me is a best case scenario. 
you're getting something like Muirfield Village, which can play really tough if it's firm and fast. But we'll talk about the golf course. But the number one thing that, and my criticisms of the golf course, but the number one thing that stood out to me is like, I don't understand how this golf course is going to be one at like four or five under par unless they made it over 8,000 yards, which they didn't, or made, or we get super firm and fast conditions, which again, I'm no agronomy expert in Louisville in May, but I I don't I don't see how this is going to I don't see how this is going to be super hard, Steve, to be honest. Yeah. It's not gonna be easy. It's a major, but I mean I don't on paper, like I look at this golf course compared to Oak Hill on paper or Southern Hills, and it's it's not particularly close to me in terms of the questions that Oak Hill and Southern Hills ask. Yeah. No, th- this is probably a upgraded version of Mirfield Village. Now that they, they you just mentioned about the lengthening, they I did think it downgraded from an architecture standpoint. Mirfield Village is a way better golf course. Upgraded in maybe they can get it a little bit harder than the memorial plays, right? Well, that well, that's the thing. They've actually made fundamental changes to that golf course. As far as, you know, like reconfiguring some holes, maybe widening it a little bit. They have not changed this golf course really at all since 2014, other than adding a couple tee boxes. So they added a tee box on hole number one that's going to play 500 yards. So no longer those guys were the the old hole name was cut the corner. And uh, now, unfortunately, you cannot cut the corner on that because it's way back there. It takes, I think, like a 340-yard carry over the trees to do it. No one's going to be able to do it. Not even Cam Young can do it. Yeah, they changed the name from cut the corner to the post, by the way. We'll get into some of my favorite name changes. (laughs) We did. Tom Hanks movie. Yes. So so that is longer. They added a new tee box on number 14 to make it 250. I think on number 12, it's now stretched out to, three. uh, I think, 490 as well. And on 18, I don't think they've officially announced in the T-Box, but I did notice one being built in the back. So, but that's all they've really done to the golf course. I did not notice any new fairway bunkers. I did not notice, they didn't publicize on the uh, website. They did a green renovation back in 2014 for the PGA. They did not publicize anything like that. Uh, This time around, the only thing they have done, a major change seems like they have changed the fairways from a bent grass to a zoysia. Which is easier which, grass to head off of. Yes, for, for iron play, yes. I mean, I think the And hope chipping, is, I'd say, don't you think? Yeah, and chipping is why. The hope is, with it played in May, zoysia can be pretty firm. Mm-hmm. So maybe the ball can be rolling a little more, and it might not be as easy to hold fairways as it did in 2014 when literally the ball hit the fairway and just stopped and left a pitch mark. At that point, uh, but you're right. I mean, listen, like just watch Kentucky Derbies in May. Sometimes it's really dry conditions on the track. Sometimes it's absolute mutters at that point. Like it's not a guarantee. I know they want to have a firm and fast PGA Championship at Valhalla. It is definitely not a guarantee based on how the weather is at that point. So, you know, we'll see. I, I agree with you. I think. But my biggest takeaway from this place is, and just looking at the leaderboard overall, and there actually was strokes gained for uh, captured for this. If you go back in time, mm-hmm. it just seems like a golf course that, if you are hitting it really bad, just clunking it around, you're going to put up big numbers. And that's kind of mm-hmm. like the same thing in Murfield Village. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're hitting it all over the map, we've seen Bryson do it 
like just ping pong it back and forth ends up in a tributary, you know, stuff like that. But if you are hitting the shots required and really off the tee and with your pro shots, it's, there's really only one option available to you. And if you do it correctly, you're okay. If not, you're going to punish. It just seems like what they're asking for, as far as the appropriate shot to hit is not incredibly difficult to obtain. No. Unlike some other places. Like it really just requires, okay, you're standing out looking at the tee box. You know, there's a couple of fairway bunkers flanking it. Like, like hole number five, I think is what I'm thinking about. You got to hit a power fade, essentially. You got two bunkers to the right flanking each side of the fairway. You know, the dog legs about 300 yards. You just got to hit it straight down the middle, power fade, and then you got a long approach shot into a green. And it, a lot of these holes are like that. Even the shorter par fours, there's it's not drivable. There's oh, only one option. We'll talk about 13. <laughs> the the uh, highlight hole the of, uh, of, of the golf course that requires a six iron and a wedge. Yeah, limestone. Yes, the, the limestone hole. That is quite the mouthful there. <laughs> Pre- previ- previously, the island changed to yes. the limestone. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I mean, this golf course also too, it, it, it seems like it's really straightforward professional, but I think if you were a mid handicapper, this place is just a nightmare. Like I, I'm a 12 yeah. handicapper and like it just some of the shots required here. It just doesn't seem like it would be a fun 18 holes because if you do spray it offline at some of these holes and stuff like, like you just, you're out of the hole. You just, you got no shot at this point. So, and some of these holes too, like where like the forward tees are and where you have to hit it. And then where the back tees are, like you end up hitting at the same places as somebody who's a professional would hit it. Like hole number four, like the fairway runs out and everyone then is just hitting a 220 yard shot into the green at that point. Or I mean, hole number same seven with 13. Is- I mean, this idea that 13 is going to be this interesting hole down the stretch. You're just going to watch pros hit a stock wedge. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's an, it, yeah. Uh, the only intrigue would be, are they going to spin it off the green? That's right. it. Or hole Which number is asking seven- a lot of like hoping that the greens are firm enough for that to be in play. Right. Or, or hole number seven, which is just, it's an abomination. I think that's the split fairway hole. Players pick that is now referred to as genuine risk. So let's talk to ungenuine risk. So let's talk about the actual options you have between a professional and like a member and like an actual like mid handicapper. So let's, let's see what the risk reward is. So the, for the better players, the members T box and the, and the championship T box are all the way on the left side towards that left fair, which is so-called the risk, uh, Shot. If you don't know what the hole is, essentially it's a split fairway. It's 600 yards if you go down the right side, go all the way around like some man-made waterfalls and like a pond or something. But over on the left, there's like a, a small, like I would say like, it's like a thumb, like someone put a thumbprint for like a fairway. And it's like 30 yards wide. There's thick bluegrass rough, like, you know, flanking your side. And, it's, and then it, it basically shortens the hole. The, the the caveat, though, is you can hit it over there, but it's like a 220-yard shot, force carry over water at that point. So where the tee boxes are for the better players, they can either go right or left. Well, I mean, like a professional, I, I, I watched some of the shots in the final round. They all went left. Yeah, they're it's all going to do the same thing. 
Yeah. They all did the same thing. They all had to drive. Now, like if it's playing a little firm, like the ball's not just going to stop like it did for them. But still, like there's absolutely with the shot you'd have to hit going down the right with where the, some of the bunkers are. It's an awkward looking shot, too, as far as you got to hit a right to left shot. You still have water in play down there as well. Like there's no reason to lengthen the hole for yourself. And even if you hit it in the rough. You know, where the layup zone is, it's like 150 yards out of the rough to get back to the other side. So the, everyone's going to go left. And even for like a member, the end of that fairway is like 200 and like 70 yards. So driver's probably too much for a better player if you're playing back at that tee box. So it's probably just like a hybrid hybrid for them. And if they want to go, it's the same problem. If they want to go to the right side, like even pulling drivers too much for them. But if you're like a mid handicapper, if you're like a 20 handicapper, you essentially have to crisscross the hole over water, over a couple bunkers to a diagonal like angled fairway at that point. And you probably have very little control over the driver anyways. So you're obviously going to go down the right side. There is no option at that point. And true to Jack Nicholas, you know, form with a lot of his par fives, like they're probably not hitting the green and two. the layup zone for is an absolute nightmare. You got water pinching in, you got fairway bunkers up there too. Like it's just, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a yeah. well-designed hole. No, it's the worst. I think it's the worst golf course we've seen host a major since Tory Pines 2021. I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Harding Park it, was up there. Yeah, Quail Hollow, Belle Reef, Torrey Pines, Harding Park, right? Those are probably yeah. the worst major venues that we've seen in the last five years. Yeah, and I, I think, mean, four, yeah, four or five are PGA venues. Right. I yeah. mean, I think that in terms of what is going to be asked of players in terms of skill set, I think this is a way less fun version of Oak Hill, right? Like, I think the, mm -hmm. I think what you had to do at Oak Hill you're going to have to do the same thing at this golf course. A lot of the architecture heads weren't a fan of Oak Hill. I thought the criticisms were fair. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased on the Oak Hill front, although I can get down with the homogeny of a test when it comes to professional golf. I understand that. I'll definitely stand by the fact that it, you know, it's a wonderful club to be a member of, a wonderful town to host a major championship at. Uh, and one that truly embraces its atmospheres and traditions and welcomes and caters to major championship golf, unlike, say, a Los Angeles Country Club, which is a golf course that I love very dearly, more than Oak Hill, um, but undeniably a worse golf club to host a major championship. So I say all that to raise the point that you know I don't think that pure architecture is necessarily what makes a golf club a good or bad major venue, right? There are I did a whole podcast on this with Andy Johnson. I think there are a lot of pieces to that puzzle. So I, you know, I reserve the right to be pleasantly surprised by the atmosphere at Valhalla and the fan turnout and maybe the way that the town and the membership wraps its arms around hosting a major in the same way that Rochester and Oak Hill did, uh, which maybe that masks some of the limitations of the actual golf course yeah it's, and like it's just a bad golf course i mean yeah it's, it's everything that people didn't like about oak hill with less interesting green complexes it's mm -hmm. like if andrew green just took out all the trees 
but didn't re- and Oak Hill's on a better piece of land anyway, but didn't do anything to the greens and didn't change any of the bunkers. Like there's some inexplicable golf holes uh, at this course. You mentioned some of them. I mean, more homogenized strategy in a way that I think it's pretty clearly a fade is going to help you at this course, like mm-hmm. most Jack Nicholas courses. And I'm not a Jack Nicholas fan as an architect. I don't think this is even one of his top 10 golf courses that he's designed. Like if you want to give a major to Mr. Nicholas, just host it at Mirfield Village, I guess. This is a way less architecturally sound version of Mirfield Village. And I think that's what we can expect. I think it's this is like the PGA of America came to it'd be like if the PGA of America came to Mirfield Village and pinched in the fairways, grew out the rough, lengthened it, put the proper modifications in place to, you know, hopefully get a winning score somewhere in the single digits. And as a result, you get this worse version of some type of conglomeration between Mirfield Village and Oak Hill that the architecture heads like myself will be unimpressed with. And, you know, the LACC, this course is too easy. Keyboard warriors might actually be displeased with too, because like you said, I I really struggle to see what they could really do to this course outside of completely turning it up to the point where it loses the last shreds of whatever architectural identity it has to get the winning score that they want. I don't understand any of the decision-making here. Yep. Well, I mean, I mean, this, this championship was awarded, I think before maybe that mindset, this new mindset of what the PJ has, like having like kind of like a target winning score around, you know, single digits. I mean, I think they, I think shortly after the 2014 PGA, they just gave it to them again because the PGA of America used to own this place. I, I, I want to speak to, you know, the homogeny of this place. So if you look back, it, so like if you go on YouTube, there's not a ton of footage back in 2014, but they do have every single shot of Ricky and and uh, Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy. And I went through and kind of guessed me with Google Earth, like about where their tee shots landed. I took note of what club choices they actually made off the team. So Ricky Fowler's final round, he had, he took driver nine times. He took less than driver five times. Uh, he had five shots under 150 yards of the greens and he had 13 over 150. Rory McIlroy also hit nine drivers on the exact same holes. He hit less than driver on five of them. Those are two really different players too. Like those yes. players don't hit within 30 yards of each other. Cause there's well, only, cause guess what guys, there's only one thing to do on every hole. And we'll talk about 13 because I have a rant on 13 too. Yes. Well, so so speaking of that, you know, Roy's a lot more powerful than, than Ricky there. Uh, Roy McElroy also had five shots under 150 yards and also had 13 shots over 150 yards. So, I mean, the only real change as far as like the proximity buckets, I mean, number one is going to turn into a longer uh, hole now. Like those guys had wedges into those greens. It's going to be, you know, like 180 yards probably, but you're right. Like, you're going to be watching this this golf course, and unless it's firm, which the guy running it is is uh, the of the PGA of America. His name is Ryan Ogle. He yep. was he was in charge of setting up Kiowa, and that was great. But that's also Kiowa. They uh-huh. had a lot more to it's deal. Way better canvas. Yeah. yeah, way better. They also and you've the, win to Kiowa. <laughs> that's the, they had the perfect, literally the perfect weather for that for that venue. So. You know, they are 
talking a lot about the Zoysia, how that might improve how this golf course plays. So if it does play firm and, you know, maybe I think they talked about some, you know, shaving down some of the rough around some of the greens, maybe create a little more collection areas too. So maybe they could do that as well. Like that could be a lend away to make it more difficult, but you're going to see basically these guys hitting the same types of approach shots. You're going to see him hit the same tee shots over and over and over. And you're going to do that for four days. And like that, maybe that creates, I mean, that's probably going to just promote a leaderboard where just the best players in the world just end up rising up it. And like, that can be very entertaining. People like that. That's what happened at Torrey Pines in Belarus. Right. And that's what we're getting. It's going to be the same thing. If you like Torrey Pines in 2021 and Belarus, you're going to get the same thing. Right. Like I I might think of like, all right, I I remember the guys in the mix of this thing, but I don't really remember how they did like, like Belarus. Like you mentioned that I, I remember Brooks Capital winning. I remember JT in the mix. I can maybe recall maybe two shots. From yeah. Brooks Capital all single week. Yeah. So. And they're going to market, I think 13, the island hole, I think is a terrible golf hole. I don't really understand how this golf hole is supposed to be marketed as this really strategic, high leverage hole coming down the stretch. You can't move the tees up because you can't land a drive on that green. So it's maybe the least strategic hole at Valhalla, which is really saying something. It's really like target golf at its worst. I think everyone is going to hit their tee shots into the same position. And then you have an incredibly uniform stock wedge to, you know, a very non thought provoking green with very little contouring. And, you know, I think the point of this hole is that it's cool because the green surrounded by water and this hole is a microcosm for everything with Jack Nicholas's design philosophy, why I think he's so limited as an architect. I think there's this idea that if you make the whole look cool, you're going to be able to generate substance and strategic value based on aesthetics. And it it's a fun hole to look at. I'm sure the club invested a lot of money in building that waterfall. I'm sure we're going to hear a ton about that on the broadcast, but there's no strategy to this golf hole. It's pyrrhic, it's hollow. I understand the intent. It's a type of design philosophy is not the right word. It's a design commission, right? Like a design style uh, that I wish was less prevalent slash just isn't for me. And that's okay too. I mean, I enjoyed Los Angeles Country Club. A lot of people didn't. It's in, it's okay to like different things, but there's nothing yeah. there. There's nothing at that. There's, 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 n- there's nothing at that golf hole that you are going to see these players have to think about on their tee shot. Um, no. And, you know, I don't, like I said, like, I don't even know if the people that struggled with LACC will like this golf course either, because I don't know if it's going to be any, any harder. I don't see where the pushback is uh, with the way that, like, why can't, why can't Ludwig shoot 25 under here? I mean, with the way he drives the ball, like just Garrett basically guaranteeing yourself a long and straight shot and with an improving iron game. Yeah. I mean, like he definitely could burn this place to the ground. That like, won't happen. The- That's, I don't no. want to go on the record and say that somebody's going to shoot 25 under. They'll trick it up if they have to. Uh, I just think they're underestimating what they had to do to this golf course to make it major championship worthy. Yeah, I mean, like in 2014, yes, it was soft, but like that was an incredibly bunched up leaderboard there. Like, I think the cut was one over. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have some clunkers who missed the cut. Like, again, like if you are spraying it around this place, like you're, you don't really have a shot. But, you know, it's like you said, like it's the same club choices on each hole. No, everyone's going to be hitting it. And it's just when you get in a situation like that where everybody's hitting the same clubs, everybody's sitting in the same pro shots, there's no real thought or, you know, different processes towards attacking a hole, you're going to get naturally just the best players in the world who are going to contend. And those players just end up usually being the best drivers, the best iron players. And, you know, it's, that's, what's going to be, which is entertaining, you know, from just seeing it, but just actually trying to watch this for four straight days. It's uh, your eyeballs are going to be pretty dry and, you know, just kind of, I think you're going to get bored by, I think the end of it, at least for me, at least. Can we talk about how this golf course is being marketed? Can we talk oh about God? Can we talk about Jimmy Kirchstofer? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go deep on him. I, I basically, I, <laughs> I basically stopped at when I found out that the already cheesy and corny, but at least kind of vibed with the theme of Norse mythology, or like blatantly just like told you what you need to do, like cut the corner right. or fade away. So, or, so I yeah. assume you're not a fan of the the name change on hole eight from Thor's hammer to float like a butterfly. <laughs> I mean, I, I I clearly appreciate the ties to Muhammad Ali. I think, I think it, for like a Muhammad Ali thing because hole it, it is hole it is. twelve went from Odin's revenge to sting like a bee. Well, that's the thing. All right. All right. So if you watch Jeopardy, anytime they do like a wordplay with the clues of like a quote like that, they're always right next to each other. Why isn't number nine sting like a bee at that point? Like, I mean, at least have it like kind of flow into each other. Like, I mean, like nothing about any of these hole names are have actually anything to do with the actual holes. Like julep number 16. Uh, like there's no mint leaves growing in the bushes over. My on the favorite is my favorite is they uh, they changed. Uh, hole 14 from two tiers to on the rocks, but then hole 15 was already called on the rocks. So they liked the name on the rocks. They just decided that the 14th hole was more apropos to the rocks, even though there's demonstrably less rock outcroppings on the new on the rocks than the old on the rocks. Yeah. I I, I mean, they, they are clearly trying to just make this, as Kentucky as it can be between the horse racing themes of the holes to the bourbon, the juleps, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali is yeah. he, he's a big Kentucky guy. Yeah. He's, he's from Louisville. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so my question though, is, I mean, you have the most famous baseball bat in history, Louisville slugger. Why isn't there a slugger hole, you know, here well, and if was to a, that, if, if there was a slugger hole, they'd have to rename holes, like down the stretch and long shot. <laughs> That's true. I mean, look, like, so, I mean, we, we just got done talking about the golf course. And I think some of my frustrations about this place is they've been spending so much time the last 10 years, not actually improving the golf course. No. And actually putting it in the clubhouse though. Yes. And and now it it looks like, you know, Churchill Downs with the little spires are there. I, they're building a barn that with some horses, apparently they're going to be chilling out by the first tee, you know, pretty soon you got the white picket fences coming down. Like they are spending so much time with just, shoving in your face how Kentucky this damn place is that the golf course just is just kind of an afterthought. This is, at uh, this, point. this is what Kirch Dofer said. That's why we have the horse industry. That's why we have bourbon. 
You see the white picket fence? You see the clubhouse is going to have a Kentucky feel? Just showing that heritage is important to us. You know, I really wish they were more interested in making the golf course better. It's a really good point because they're going to rev that up to a million. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty dead. Is this, I forgot, is it NBC or CBS? It's is? CB. It's CBS, CBS at least. CBS has the PGA. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but can you can you imagine Nance like with the drone shots describing mind that bird and talking about the history of that horse or, you know, I, like, you know, risk reward and like, you know, sting he's, like he's, a bee, you know, making Muhammad Ali yeah, um, he's you know, anecdotes a, too. He's going to have yeah. a, He's gonna have a great final call. He probably will. Yeah, it's gonna be probably like, well. Well, I mean, the, the old <laughs> the the old name of that uh, whole game over, you know, yeah. a little play on the original. Which actually, I was hoping it was gonna be because uh, it spelled it spelled G A H M. So I thought I, I was hoping it was Gom, and then like obviously, oh well, John Rahm is gonna win because naturally, you know, Nance is just gonna have a play on that. But no, it's game and, over. And but Rom, still, Rom slays Gom, Gom over. Yeah, they changed <laughs> yeah. the whole name to Photo Finish, a little more optimistic. Yes. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I mean, Nance is gonna be just in his element as far as some of these, you know, whole names. Like, can can I can I make a hot take too, as far as just like you know naming holes and stuff, just like in general. If your golf course was built after 1980, like I, I don't don't name your holes. Like like who I like agree. like who is actually going into the clubhouse here and say, man, like you know, julep, that was a real ball buster today. You know, I mean, that really got me. It's it's just yeah, I fucked up 16, you know, to ruin my round there. So I mean, like like none of these holes. It's all about the theme of what they're going for, but they don't actually have anything to do with the holes. Like you could take the names of all these holes and just like mash it up and put it somewhere else. Like there's no story behind it. So it's just, it's, it's just corny and cheesy and it's going to be in your face. I think the one course that pulls it off is Augusta because you have like flowers, but yeah. Or like, like St. Andrews, you know, like the road hole or home, like, like all the, yeah. Because they're they're older. They actually have history behind it. That's fine. Like this has been around. It was, it opened up when I was born. And if the whole, the original whole names weren't important enough to keep around, that means your new whole names are important enough either. So why even have them at this point? So that, that's my little rant on that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, go- at golf gambling podcasts. Uh, any, uh, any people who love this golf course, feel free to, uh, you know, send some hate my way. I won't see it. My producer will probably send it over to me though. Listen, I'm not going to apologize. I don't think I, <laughs> I'm sure it's a wonderful place. Like I think my friend Wiley, who I just did a podcast last week, I think lives in Lexington. I don't know if he's going to claim Valhalla, but I I know he's a Kentucky resident. I'm sure, like I'm sure Louisville is wonderful. I just think that this is a really over manufactured attempt at invoking culture on us that no one really asked for who asked for this and they've put a lot of thought into how they can create moments on television and create fun visuals on television without any thought of making an interesting golf course which as we've with you know so many of these great golf courses if the golf course is interesting 
everything else falls into place. And they're going at it at the completely opposite angle. Yeah, this has nothing to do with the city of Louisville. I had a wonderful time when I went to Kentucky Derby. It's, I mean, that's going to be a hell of a May, by the way. You got the Kentucky Derby earlier yeah. in May, and then a couple weeks later, you got the PGA. That's going to be great to be in Louisville. I'm sure it's going to be a great time. But yeah, it's 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 it's, it's the golf club itself. It's the management. It's the decisions they've made for what how they want to portray this place. It has nothing to do with the city. Like at this point, like the name Valhalla just means nothing. There's no connections to Norse mythology. They should just rename it Kentucky National at this point because that's really what they're going for. All right, wait, yeah, let's talk about these players real quick. So I will say this. I said this out. I said this at dinner last week with Brian Kirschner and my friend Kyle as well, who's been on this podcast a couple of times now too. It is almost comical to me how much this golf course fits with Victor Hovland. Yes. Where it's so obvious to the point where I'm almost tempted to rebel and say that there's no way that it's that easy. If I was building a golf course for Victor Hovland, Steve, to succeed at, I would build a golf course that emphasizes power off the tee, check. I would build a golf course that emphasizes long iron play, check. I would build a golf course with Zoysia fairways, the same type of fairways that we have seen Hovland have a ton of success at, chipping off at courses like Mayakoba and Marco Simone, where he was great around the greens as well, check. I would build a golf course that favors a fade off the tee. Hovland has that signature now kind of pole fade uh, that is very repeatable and kind of he has on a string. I mentioned Oak Hill and Muirfield Village. I think Hovland's been pretty good at those two golf courses. What were those Hovland's two of his best three performances of the year, along with Olympia Fields, which is another back grass, narrow fairways. It's like laughable at this point, Mm. how perfect this golf course is for Victor Hovland. And if he wins the PGA Championship, Steve, then golf bettors, especially those that listen to this podcast and pay attention and obviously know about the Zoysia thing and the Oak Hill thing and the Muirfield Village thing and the fade off the tee thing. I don't want to hear any complaints about this being too hard. This is the most obvious course fit major championship this player is due for a major it's his turn next in line that i have ever seen in my four years of doing it and it can't happen right it's it's too, it's too easy i mean look rob happened at tory pines that yeah. cash for everybody that cash for everybody yeah you know my co-host single bolted that and he was just adamant he just put his dug his heels and he's like i'm buying into this narrative and it hits I mean, you have Victor Hovland, who's one of Muirfield Village, who has all the things you just mentioned, even down to the agronomy as well. I I think, like, I mean, right now he's, what, 15 to 1 at this point? I mean, it's, I think your hope, if you would like to get a better number, is maybe the hype around him at the Masters is so immense, and he just completely falls on his face. Which is kind of why you got an okay number on Rory at Oak Hill. Right. That's best case mm-hmm. scenario for the Hovland people. Yes. That Hovland falls flat on his face at the Masters and people jump off the bandwagon. Yeah. Or, or even at LACC. I mean, Rory started drifting during the week too. Like there was no buzz on him. Like, yeah, like, you know, he's top 10 at Oak Hill, but like no buzz on him. Someone wasn't listening to my podcasts. Well, I, I, I also pumped him up too. But like, I think in general, I think, that, I think yeah. in general, it definitely the attention was not on him that week. But yeah, like, I mean, Hovland is just the, Absolute obvious easy pick. I think Rom is also going to be an obvious easy pick because of his success in Murphy Village and hitting the power fade 
I mean, Morikawa will obviously get probably some traction as well, given his success on Nicholas golf courses. Billy hit a fade as well. Yeah. Cantlay is the one I want to talk about right now. Oh, by the way. Yeah. I mean, Rory did. It's not like we've ever had a major championship in the last two or three years that Rory has some deep intrinsic connection to, right? Like it's never <laughs> happened before. No, it hasn't. No. No, nothing near and dear to your heart, too. No, we we talk about like obvious places for like Victor Hovland, like uh, of any major venue. I think we've seen Cantley come to like, and we try it. We've tried to say like this is like the obvious place. This is the obvious place for him considering Ooh, interesting i kind of like him at pinehurst i don't like him at pinehurst really okay, that's at a all. fun discussion so, so you th- so i i just i don't think can't lay like he has all the pieces there but i just a place like pinehurst that's firm with just some roll-offs can be kind of unfair at times i don't know if i like him here but i like him there but maybe my opinion will change in a week. But just thinking about here, the Jack Nicholas connections, two-time winner in Mirfield Village, one at Sherwood as well. Excellent off the tee. Um, you know, he had some success in Zoysia last year with TBC Southwind. Those are Zoysia fairways. Also, it's actually the exact same type of Zoysia as they're going to feature here. Obviously, really good putting on Jack Nicholas greens here. I don't really see a ton of difference between these greens and some of the other places too. I know he struggled on some major venue services that have been bent. We just assumed he'd be good. And he's fallen flat. Like this, this is put up or shut up time for Cantlay. Like, I'm not saying he's gonna be my pick, but like if there is a place for him that is kind of set up, yeah, where this is the type of golf course he should thrive at, it's this place. Of all the times we've hyped him up with tournaments and all the talent we've said he's had, like if he doesn't like sniff contention here, like I I don't really know where it's gonna be, to be completely honest. Okay, so can I give you my pick, or do you want to go first? Um, I mean, if if I go first, I'm probably going to take your guy. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know if you. I'm not going. I'll I'll I'll, I'll let I'll let you go first again. Okay, now I will be the first to besmirch the competition on live. But can we rule out the possibility that Bryson is like the third best golfer in the world right now? I just think that we probably don't have an adequate sample size to say who he really is right now. But at 36 to one, and I was with Brian Kirshner when he bet a 60 earlier this year, I think that Bryson is going to make some serious noise this year. And I think that this is a really good golf course for him. And I think that he is the only player currently north of 30, maybe Justin Thomas, who's at 30. Certainly the only player north of 35. Eh, I guess you could throw Salatoris into that mix. Um, But I think there's a decent chance that Bryson elevates to I mean, genuinely one of the best players in the world. And he's going to have like four opportunities to do that (laughs) this year because I don't really think he was unbelievable towards the back end of the year at live. And I don't think it changed how anybody thought about him. His odds got a little bit worse, right? You could, there were some bigger numbers hanging on Bryson earlier, 
but I think there's a smoking gun chance here with this guy that he is like unbelievable right now, playing unbelievable golf. And mm-hmm. I think his ability to again, it's such a bummer to me because just never it's not I and I talked about this a little bit on podcast in the past. I'm gonna write about Bryson for the website later this week. For Bryson to gain all that weight. Win a U.S. Open, which I still think is the most underrated major performance of the last decade. Take off a lot of the weight. Now find the perfect equilibrium where he's still a top five longest driver of the ball in golf, potentially more accurate, way more healthy. And, you know, remember when Bryson's at his best, he's one of the best putters in the world, too. I'm buying anyone's Bryson stock. I think this is a good, good guy to bet on in in 2023. I think there is a chance, and I can't say definitively because I don't have enough info on, you know, we don't live as just devoid of any comparative value, right? It's devoid of any real sample size, but I think there's a, a really decent chance that this guy can elevate to the top of the golf world again. He's pretty young. And mm-hmm. he's and he's as healthy as he's ever been, and mm-hmm. he and he like seriously gives a fuck. So I'm I'm kind of all in on Bryson. I think he's going to win a major this year. Okay, how is the case? I, I think the case is good. I, I, I have two points. And the first is actually a hot take on Liv, which I'm sure it just never happens on this show. <laughs> I think I've been thinking about this lately, and I think Liv would be immensely more popular in the gambling community and just in general, if they had some sort of shot link or strokes gained. Oh, because at, because at that point, now we can have intelligent conversations about this stuff instead of just speculating. Well, I mean, I saw him hit it to 20 feet at a crooked cat. Like, you know, let's see how that translate. Like, like, and, and that's kind of like the frustration I've had with some of like the PJ tour fall stuff. Like there's opportunities to, bring this equipment to these locations and we're just left looking at our phone at text threads, not knowing really what's going on. And it's the same thing at live. Like you just don't know. There's absolutely nothing. All they all they show is just basically driving distance and green regulation. And I think they do have some strokes gain stats, but they just, it's, I think they just say it on the broadcast. They don't really tell anybody like, or like having a list there, but your point about Bryson I was thinking about it too because I, I I see like some whale hollow in this place as well, and he's had some For success sure. there. Yeah, I see yeah. he's had some success there. The the, the only thing, and I, I think we mentioned this earlier too, the PTSD surrounding. Yes, he won at Murfield Village, free transformation of him, mm-hmm. and then obviously. After all of that, before he left for live, he was an abject disaster in Murfield Village. Mm-hmm. Great, um, in those great at Oak Hill last year, though. Great at Oak Hill, but you know, I, I think there's a little more opportunity here because there are a little more water hazards and some of like, you know, there's an air like some off the fairway here. You have like, you know, bluegrass rough, but then like off of that, it's like I don't even know what type of grass it is, but it's it's pretty gnarly. Okay, so Kirsch, like Kirschdofer on the line to. <laughs> Yeah. So like, so like the, and and unfortunately data golf doesn't have like the exact, like what was the penalty for a miss fairway? 
Yeah. So I can only kind of speculate, like, what exactly is that? Like, is this truly a place where the big miss can get rewarded more? Or, I mean, I'm looking at the guys who, because, like, they really haven't done anything really differently to this golf course other than lengthen a couple of holes. And, like, yeah, you got your Rory's, you got, you know, Phil, but, like, Henrik Stenson's up there. Like, Jim Furyk, you're, you know... Steve Strickers, your Snedekers. And like a lot of these guys, like, yeah, they rank pretty good in Australia off the team, but like in total driving, as far as like the combination of length and accuracy, like, you know, like Stenson, he was like second that, you know, heading into that tournament. Hunter yeah. Mayhem was fourth. Like, I just uh, think, kept, I Kevin just Chappell think was 10th. Game's, game's different yeah. now. It, it, it is. So I, it, it really, I think it just comes down to like, what's, if you are hit, because I'm, I'm still not convinced. I don't know exactly what the penalty is going to be for like just hitting all over the map, but I remember at Oak Hill, he was one of the leaders in fairways hit that week, mm-hmm. despite everything. So maybe he is just a completely different driver. And I'm not, and all the things I've seen where just him, you know, blasting all around Augusta National to no success or blasting around Murfield Village to no success after the transformation, maybe that is gone. And maybe I actually need to stop having that stigma about Bryson because, you know, yeah, he went to Oak Hill and yeah, he was, he hit a ton of fairways that week. And he, that's why he was just so, this is, you know, very successful as well, you know? Okay. What's your pick? I mean, I'm probably going to go chalk at this point again. Going Hovland? Not going Hovland. Why? Because uh, <laughs> it's too obvious. Right. Same. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, I, I, the success of Murphy Village, the power fade, the ability to hit long irons, like John Rom okay. at this point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, like I think the only concern I might have is like it seems like Rom maybe doesn't have the highest opinion of the PGA of America, considering some of his uh views on Oak Hill last year. Yeah. But all the pieces are there. And, it, and just looking at this golf course, it just seems like it's just going to be the best players that week with the best skill sets. And if everybody's hitting drivers off the tee and hitting power phase, everybody's hitting long irons for the most part, like it, there's very few guys who do that better on the planet than Rob at this point. So I, I think I'm just going to take Rob and that'll be my early pick. Okay. Long shot. I guess we'll be lenient and say that we can go above 50. I really like Cameron young at 50 to one. I'm a bit okay. of a Cameron young truther. But I think this is a wonderful golf course for Cameron Young. And if I wanted to be a little bit more brave, I would shout out your co-host, Boston Capper. I think Keegan at 120 could play well here. Okay. Yeah, I think those are those are good picks. I mean, I I I also have Cam Young highlighted 50 to 1. Kurt Kiyama, 150. <laughs> Not him. Although, listen, like... Listen, Keith Mitchell drives the ball really good. His iron play is absolutely abominable. But like, if he can find something, I feel like that's a cultural fit too. <laughs> Maybe is he from the area? No, but he just he wears the visor and wears a he lot does. of cashmere sweaters. He does like like he's got to find form of the irons because they're but like the off the tee numbers have been really good. Obviously, you could length you know combination length and accuracy too. Like he's if he's finding with the irons that week, you know, one fifty one. That could be somebody. I mean, I Adam Scott, I think again. I, apparently I'm just a big Adam Scott stand at this point. I, I saw down the odds board too, a couple guys 
live guys. 190 to one Mito Pereira. Mm. I mean, you know, yeah, should have won I Southern like, Hills. He I top like 20 last year at Oak Hill. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he's, he played pretty. It was a solid year on live for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the so-called best player in the world, Taylor Gooch. He's also 190 to one. Wow. He's been decent. He's been decent at majors. I mean, like, like nothing like to write home about, but like he's been, you know, he hasn't just completely fallen on his face. Yeah. Neiman I think this too is kind of the one that I had a lot of stock and I'm holding right yeah. now, but I'm, I'm a little nervous in the, it, it hasn't been good for him lately on live at no. least. Well, it hasn't. Another guy, t- I mean, he got lost in the shuffle, but I mean, Corey Connors stood pretty tough at Oak Hill for a while last year. And then he, on Sunday, fade away. But I mean, he was in the second to last group. Yeah. He, he had some moments at Kiowa a couple of years prior to that, you know, obviously, you know, he's done very well at Augusta national too. Like, you know, he, he averages 300 off the box, not a whole lot, but like gained a lot of strokes off the tee because he hits a lot of fairways, tremendous iron players. still. Mm-hmm. you know, his kryptonite is around the green and putting, but you know, I mean, and with PGA championships in general and this place too, like how you separate yourself uh, back in 2014, but it was all with the T to green game. And if Corey Connors can just have a tremendous T to green game again this year, like, you know, he's proven you know, at least last year, you know, he can get up there and at least kind of sustain himself into the weekend. So 75 to one, I, I, I would probably prefer if he was over a hundred at this point, but that's a guy that I'm kind of thinking about. Okay. He's been, it's been relevant. He's kind of fitting some things I can, see working here as far as just, you know, you know, hitting a lot of fairways and a lot of greens. You know, I, that's, that's the guy I think I had in mind as far as like a little longer shot, but yeah, I, I don't love his odds, but could I, see, I, I could, could see it. Where do we see Finau being really good here too? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, Finau's got to get his head out of his ass. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's 34 to one and he hasn't done anything really since Mexico. Yeah. It's a silly night at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it seems like the problem with him is he has been driving it all as well. He's not he's not as long as he used to be either. So, and like those iron numbers, like they were world class, um, you know, about this point last year. And they've been a little better the last couple of tournaments, but, you know, they're not what they were. And that's why he's been finishing mostly like, you know, fringe top 40, top 30 in most of his performances, like, you know, top 10 every single time. But yeah, like... I I think just question is what like how old is he? He's like what thirty four or so. Mm-hmm. Like, have we kind of seen what we're going to see out of Finau, and that's really about it. I don't know. I I I need that number to come down though. I think on Finau. So you know, you went Scheffler Rom at the first two. <laughs> yeah. Do you realize that two of the four majors last year were won by Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon? I hope you get a little bit more uh, spicy with your selections in part two, my friend. I well, at least gave you Bryson. And there is a big contingent of people that think Rory's cooked anyway. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think Augusta. I think Pinehurst, given the firm and fast nature and how some of those greens, you know, some of the areas around the greens are like, you know, the trailback nature, the runoffs, yeah. everything like that. I, I think that one... I, I I remember a lot of that 2014. I was there. Yep. You know, US Open with Keimer. Just yeah, I think he went off at like 100 to one, just kind of burned it down there. So yeah, yeah that one I think Compton. that one I think is definitely more wide open. And obviously with an open True. championship. Yeah. Very wild. Very fond memories of that too. So I, I'm looking forward to talking about that as well. But yeah, I, I think just like Augusta and what that's kind of turned it into and Valhalla. 
like just what it's offering. Like those I are just, the ones to go chalk at for sure. I, I think it's just, I, especially Valhalla. I, I just think if they're all hitting the same clubs, then just it's the best players are going to rise up the leaderboard. It's just what's going to happen. Yeah. All right, Steve, you got anything you doing any hero content for golf gambling pod? Yeah. So we're going to have a quick pick show uh, tomorrow. Um, I won't be available, but we do an NFL show every Thursday, giving out our top five picks. We also <laughs> did my invite on that. <laughs> well, <laughs> we probably should have you on pretty soon for it. We're going to be doing it all the way through uh, the playoffs. We also did a, a live stream of uh, the toilet bowl giants versus Patriots yesterday, where I did play by play a capper was giving his color commentary and uh, that uh, dropped me pretty humorous. I mean, obviously it's dated I'm available stuff like for these things, Steve, you have my number. <laughs> All right, we'll think about that next time. But you gotta, um, you gotta save me from my next uh master's deep dive. I, I do, I definitely do. So, but yeah, I mean we're we're still cranking out content, even though golf has kind of been not in a great place uh the last couple months or so. Um, but we're still cranking out content, still screening everything for free over there. So come uh, check us out at golf gambling podcast, go check out our YouTube page, go check out all my content and articles over at sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Uh, putting out previews every single week. So, uh, Andy, uh, thank you for having me on. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing part two with you next week. All right. Good to see you, buddy. I'll see you next week, my man. All right. That is it for the podcast. We'll be back next week doing part two. Talking about Royal Troon and Pinehurst, another golf course that I've played and, and a U.S. Open that I attended all the way back in 2014. Um Back when I was in college down there in North Carolina, I'm pretty excited for us to uh, to return to Pinehurst. I think this is going to be hopefully a uh, a much more exciting iteration of that U.S. Open that we saw back there in, about a decade ago when Martin Keimer kind of ended it by Friday afternoon. But until then, best of luck with all of your bets this week, as we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.